1: Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Julie Callio, and we're here today with Jamila Lee Johnson and Ashley Gaskew to talk about the volume they co-edited with Rochelle Winkle-Wagner, Critical Theory and Qualitative Data Analysis in Education, published by Routledge. Jamila and Ashley are doctoral students in education, leadership, and policy analysis here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Jamila and Ashley, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for talking with us today. Thank, thank you, you Julie, Curry. thank you for having us. <laughs> so let's begin with your background and your research and how you came to study critical theory and qualitative data analysis. So One of you want to start us off.
2: I can go first. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jimmy Lilly Johnson. Um, so let's see how I got to this spot. So I have over 10 years of higher education and student affairs experience. And, um, I knew when I was in my last position, I said, it's time for me to go on and pursue a higher degree. So, um, I applied, I got into the University of Wisconsin, um, to study under Rochelle Winkle Wagner, um, ironically, which is weird, um, I don't necessarily know if I started off like anticipating, like wanting to be in academia, mm-hmm. right. I knew I wanted to be on a college campus, um, but more so in like student affairs type roles and directors and things of that nature. Um, and then over time, um, as I began to take classes and, you know, being in a teaching assistant role, I have grown to love or understand more too, and love like what it means to be in the academy and to be a professor. Um, so with that being said, um my research interest is centered around the experiences of black women overall in higher education um specifically um looking at the experiences of undergraduate black women at historically black colleges um in leadership positions um and then how i got became interested in this book uh is centered around a class I took um a field methods class with a professor named Aisha Wynn and she wrote a book around dehumanizing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um humanizing research um and so that also became from reading that edited volume that also is an inspiration for this book and yeah. she wrote the forward to our book she did. um and her
3: book is great
2: yeah and it was almost like it's one of those books that you can kind of like take around with you yep. um to kind of um go back and use it as a guide to see yourself as someone who wants to work with marginalized populations underserved communities this book is a really good book an example of that um and so that also has become one of my research interests is which is really centered around like humanizing my participants um and finding ways that i can also give back to them as the researcher
1: nice all right ashley
3: um let's see i have been in school all my life i've gone straight through (laughs) Um, so straight through undergrad, master's, and then here, now being a doc student, um, doc student pursuing a joint PhD in educational leadership and policy analysis, as well as curriculum and instruction. So in the school of it. Um, and I study for-profit colleges and universities, specifically looking at the impact that they have, um. On faculty and faculty of color, and kind of the long term and short term impacts that this sector has on the entire field of post secondary education. And for me, it's important to get involved in critical work because for profits aren't very understudied. They're not included inclusively in or holistically in the work of post secondary education. If they are covered, it's always in the media, and not that that's bad, but I just feel that it also needs to be in academia as well because. Part of the reason that they exist is because of the work nonprofit institutions have done or the lack thereof. (laughs) Some may argue as well. So I feel that it's important to center their voices. And I got very interested in critical theory, just kind of hearing it. And then through Rochelle's class, um, which is how the book came to be. Anyway, anyway, um, basically in the class, for show offers is like packed. Like you want to take it, right? You're just like, yeah, I'm going to take this class. So I read the syllabus. I was like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. The um, well, first couple of weeks, we struggled. We struggled. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting there like, oh, okay, this is. But it was great because it was like this is what some of us felt like we were missing in our program is like really being pushed, really being taught to think critically, to taught to think out of the norm to push back against what has been told to us is Mm -hmm. how you do research, how Mm -hmm. you have a question, how you're supposed to use your theory. And in that class, we're like, okay, well, who are we doing the research for? Why are we doing the research? How are we coming to employ the theories that we're using, right? Like, why are we using these theories? Because it's, It sounds good. It's fun to use right now. You know, um, we always talk about fads, but fads happen in academia, too. So, like, you know, helping us understand, like, why we're really doing the work that we're doing. And I feel like Mm -hmm. from that moment on, it's really made me really pause and think, like, why am I doing what I'm doing beyond the requirements? So beyond I need to pass this class, beyond I need to do my qualifying exam, beyond my proposal and my dissertation. Like why am I really doing it? Who am I as a person and what does that mean when I'm doing my research? So
1: yeah.
3: I also think it's a sense of passion. Like, yeah. Too, yeah. like
2: it, it really has um it's inspiring. It's like, yeah, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. To want to continue to do this and how can I see this as a platform
0: mm-hmm.
2: to to be better. Mm-hmm. or even to inspire my colleagues to be better.
1: Mm-hmm. So, All right. And I'd like to start off with some definitions. So you guys have referred to critical theory and the way you were introduced to this in the class that you took with Rochelle. Uh, maybe you could describe for our listeners who might not be familiar with this, uh, your perspective on what critical theory is and how it informs then how you're approaching data analysis.
2: I think we could tag team this. Yeah. So um, I think asking like what exactly critical theory is. Is a little vague, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, so everyone's definition of what gonna being be critical um, is going to be different. And the book um, shows that. Yeah. And I think that the our book shows that in terms of what may be critical to me may be not critical to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why the book is also important too, um, because it's, it has a variety of range mm-hmm. um, from looking at different authors that are studying various types of work. Until from looking at syllabi, essentially, to even looking at tweets, to understanding commercials, to looking at p- folks' comments and what they're saying in op-eds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an action, essentially. Yeah. Our definition of it is like, it's an action. Um, and what, what is actually happening right now or what has happened in order for us to want to think on it critically or... When I think of critical, and I always talk about this, I think about like, oh, it's an emergency, like it Mm -hmm. needs to be handled. Like, that's what we think, like critical, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I guess that's not scholarly, but to me, it's scholarly. Mm -hmm. It is scholarly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah.
3: And that's what our work is about. Is Mm -hmm. is, is that very, like, we don't think it's, but it actually is. Like, critical Mm -hmm. theory is about, Censoring stuff that we've traditionally marginalized. Mm-hmm. So that could be the voice of participants. That could be the data that you use. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is actually scholarly work. This is critical work. This is important work. And then the action component, Jamila was talking about, like doing something, not just being like, oh, what's a problem over there? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just gonna shed light on it. You know, we love it. like this this work sheds light. <laughs> right? yes. So it's kind of like, well, beyond shedding light, like what are you, what action are you doing? Is it is it calling out people? Is it speaking out? Is it using data that wouldn't be Normally, use is it including the voices of your participants mm-hmm. more directly, um, having them like analyze the data with you, or having you know maybe you start the research off with a direct quote from them. I know um, Rochelle often co authors with her participants as well and includes them. Like, so mm-hmm. what ways that you can not just use the data but do something with the data that mm-hmm. you're doing, and that varies, it depends on your, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, your epistemology, your way of being and thinking and knowing. Um, also, just your status as, as, in academia, whether you're a graduate student, whether you're yeah. faculty, whether you're a chair, you know, the the freedoms that come with that. And even kind of like some of the chapters in there even speak out about that, right? Like the constraints that put on people in academia and the various mm-hmm. stages they're in and calling to kind of like push back against that. So I just feel like ditto to what Jimmy was saying, mm-hmm. pushing back.
1: Nice. Thank you for that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how this approach to critical theory and then the focus on qualitative data analysis. Mm -hmm. So how do you see this book contributing to the field, um, both in who the contributors contributors were and then the types of data sources that you used and then the variety that you provide in terms of how you can analyze the data?
3: I think this book contributes to everyone in academia are thinking about academia because I feel like it's a really good example of how you use your theory throughout your mm-hmm. research mm-hmm. and it's not just that one section or that one chapter you're like Oop, there's my theory section mm-hmm. there's my theory mm-hmm. chapter I think it shows mm-hmm. you how you need to incorporate it throughout your data analysis throughout like how you're gathering your data mm-hmm. the type of data you're getting um how you're using it how you're analyzing it so one I think just on a base level like that it's important Because I know for me, it was like, okay, I got theory, but I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how I connected with everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, then you write a cute little sentence here and there and you're like, okay, did I tie it in enough? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. no. So I feel like on that level... Um, it's helpful. I think it's especially important for qualitative work that sometimes isn't seen as rigorous. It isn't seen as scholarly. It isn't valued as much to actually be or even seen as data or even seen as Mm data or even seen as data to actually push back and be like, this work is critical. I think especially as me being a black female um, scholar in academia, choosing to pursue qualitative work primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I do try to be mixed methods but you know the data ain't always there <laughs> um, <laughs> from, my line, from my line of work right? Mm-hmm. Um, to push back and be like no this is actually good scholarly work mm-hmm. Um, my work is rigorous my work is critical it's important and these are the reasons that it's important and this is why it should be shared I think the book does a good example with different people and how they use mm-hmm. different types of data like mm-hmm. tweets you know I think that this will help Future students who are coming in who are going to be using tweets, who are going to be using Facebook posts, who are going to be using any type of social media, mm-hmm. they can refer to Lee Johnson and Henderson and be like, this is valid. This is worthy. I can use this because it is like we're studying people are studying interactions. And this is a primary way people do that. So mm-hmm. here's a way that we can do it. That's still critical. Mm-hmm. That's still scholarly. That's respectable. Mm-hmm. All those things um, that we think can't be. It can. And it is.
1: I think for me, when I was reading the chapters, the model of here's the data that I have, here's how I analyzed it, really walked through each step of it was really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there is another text that does that.
2: No, I also think it um, gives authors and um, well, authors, scholars, all the participants Mm -hmm. of our in our book, um, the opportunity to be a little risky. Right. Mm -hmm. And do things that are necessarily like outside of your norm Mm -hmm. and what you want to do. I think so, so many times we're so used to let me go do these 20 interviews and let me analyze these interviews and let's see what that does. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with that because I do that as well. But it gives you the chance to maybe harp on something that you may really enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Or something that you enjoy doing or reading or even participating in. So.
1: I I'll think that's, that. that's actually a really nice segue, too, to, for each of you to talk about your own chapters. So maybe if you could talk about uh, the chapter that you wrote and why you chose that topic and give us some examples of your analysis. Um, so, Ashley, your chapter is titled Habermas and Data Analysis in For-Profit Higher Education Institutions. Um, maybe if you could give us the example from the University of Phoenix and talk about why you did this. Um,
3: So um, I use Habermas, but specifically with Habermas, I use his colonization of the life world. So basically talking about communication and speech acts and how in this larger system that really can impact your life world through your day to day interactions and how this if you're not careful, the larger system actually can control how you interact, how you speak on a day-to-day basis you know we all like oh you know can't nobody control me i'm my own person there's so many forces out here that are kind of shaping how we come to view things Mm -hmm. our discourse around uh like even the discourse around for-profit institutions and how that's changed over the last several decades while they still get a lot of criticism it has become a common thread right in post-secondary education so i felt that that was a good way to kind of Begin to get away at how television commercials from proprietary institutions are ways that our discourse in our life world can Mm -hmm. become colonized. Um, so I chose to look at the University of Phoenix because say what you want about them. You could tell they put money into their commercials. Mm-hmm. And it, some research has shed light on the fact that a lot of proprietary institutions do spend more money on advertisements mm-hmm. than they do on other things like instruction. Um, because part of that is to appeal to students to get them interested. Um, I, I also feel that it's a way to keep students interested, to have a sense of pride in the institution that they're at. Um, that keeps them there. And word of mouth is always going to be a good way to get students in. So if they see something, a product that they can buy into, like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. You know, like this seems like a credible um, institution, right? Um, So again, ways that images or media, television commercials are used to kind of shape your thought. So I looked at the, for this book chapter specifically, my larger work looks at television commercials over time. And how that discourse has changed over time. Um, But this one was the More Than Brains commercial, which I thought was really interesting um, because it showed so many people in so many different settings. Like it was an older guy who looked like he had something with his heart and he was like, I took two bullets to the chest. I was like, oh, okay, you know, a lot for a degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was like a single mother on the bus, then um, like a packed bus studying. It was a waitress. It was a professional businessman in his office studying. It was a guy on a tractor. So all these images. So you're able to identify in part with some aspects of this, what, 30-second commercial, right? Because commercials have to be quick to get their message across um so look kind of like taking a deeper look Mm -hmm. at what what so what is this commercial saying beyond like we're a good school we're 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 no different than a uw madison right Mm -hmm. or no different than your community college or any other national regional institution that's in your area Mm -hmm. so like besides that like what are they saying so kind of like really processing like so i transcribed the words i transcribed the images mm-hmm. and then began doing like a coding scheme um, to take like some low level coding and pulling out the messages there and then doing, um, oh my goodness, what is it called? Let I me mean, look in the chapter here. Um, so I did the coding. I also created a coding scheme and then we did like meaning fields. And most of the, my first two steps are taken from Carl Speckens' ethnography book and how he looks at, coding at a minimum level so you look at the words and you're just like okay I took two bullets to the chest like what are you saying like strength perseverance like mm-hmm. endurance kind of making a meaning and then the meaning feels like you know I am strong and I persevere and I you know keep going or I will fail you know so it's kind of like those and or things so you're trying to extrapolate larger meanings from the text so being able to go through an entire roughly 30 second commercial, and doing that for all for like the few each few seconds. The good thing about television commercials is that a couple seconds is switching to a different um, scene or a different image, a different sound. So kind of being able to go through and look at that. And basically just what I found was that um, they were talking to different audiences. So they're definitely talking to prospective students saying we are worthy um, of your attention um saying our degree i think one of the lines is a degree is a degree so Mm -hmm. it's like it don't matter where you go (laughs) you just need this credential right you need Mm -hmm. so kind of getting into the line of that work. you just need something to signal to the market that um you're viable you know got three kids i never rest so mothers you can come here too you can still have children still go to school um and then um, I can't remember. I'm trying to see. I'll be working while you sleep. So just the the facts. I think there they're speaking to the larger public. It's like we have students that work hard, too. But if you look at the commercial, they're defining the way students work hard differently than I feel non-traditional institutions do. So the way they define hard working, mm-hmm. the way they define perseverance, right, is different. But it's still getting on qualities like, oh, yeah, I work hard. Mm-hmm. I, I persevere. I'm good. So, but but really trying to think, what do they mean? And I think. Speaking to the difference between non-traditional, and traditional students. It's just so many different messages. I don't want to like Harper on because I know mm-hmm. Jamila should talk to, but just kind of understanding what's going on. And I think also speaking back to their competitors in both the nonprofit and the for-profit sector with that line of degrees of degree. So basically like you're no better than we are. Mm-hmm. We can educate students and prepare them for the mm-hmm. job market as well, which, again, goes into the conversation of what the purpose or purpose says yeah. of higher education. Right. Being able to speak back. Mm-hmm to kind of all these different stakeholders, all these different competitors, all these people with views on their institution and really kind of understanding some of those underlying messages other than where a school will come to us. So I feel like it's important to understand that, especially because Mm -hmm. this sector is a more guarded sector. It's very hard to gain access to them, to talk to them. So I feel like one of the ways they do communicate is through their television commercials. So what are they trying? And then also, what are they communicating about the purpose of post-secondary education as well? So I don't know if I, because it's a book chapter, you know, you got to cut out certain things so you can fit that word count. But uh, <laughs> but basically, that is what um, it is. Like my chapter speaks about is kind of looking deeper at me- And then, you don't pay attention, but it shapes your thought over time, right? It's those commercials are playing in the background. You know, that's when you get up from your show, you go grab your snack or you're having it in the background clean. But the more you hear it and the more it becomes commonplace, it's shaping your view and your discourse. and You're not even realizing it. And then you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. So then when something happens, like, oh, that's not bad. You know, so but not understanding like what this means and the potential larger implication. So,
1: yeah, thank you. And I, I think that. Again, as I read your chapter, that direct connection between how you analyze the data that really brought out the the, discor- the discursive moves that they're making yeah. in that commercial, that to be able to interpret it in that way, that ties that critical theory to right. how you're actually using your code. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like once you multiply that on a
3: larger scale, like that's just mm-hmm. one commercial, like in right. one institution, there are a lot of institutions that have so many different types of commercials and all that. So I'm just like... This is mm-hmm. important to look at like this is we have a whole line of research about discourse and all that I'm like this is yeah. contributing to that. And we need to better understand it, like uh, even to the poor, like nonprofit institutions have taken a liking into this and have started to put out advertisements as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. what are we saying here about like larger discourse?
0: Slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Yeah.
1: yeah. Excellent. Thanks. All right, let's turn to Jamila. So you co authored a chapter with Laura Henderson titled mm-hmm. Using Social Media to Recenter Black Women's Voices in Educational Research. So, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Twitter, Mm -hmm. the tweets that you used, Mm -hmm. and your analytic techniques for that, and how that's furthered your understanding?
2: Mm -hmm. It's hard to follow up on,
1: Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) You got this. So,
2: um, our chapter uh, was centered around, specifically, social media, Mm -hmm. um, in essence, Twitter, but utilizing Black Twitter, right, mm-hmm. which has become this phenomenon, es- essentially, um, for the Black community, right, where um, there are things like Black Twitter, yeah. that is, is, it is Black Twitter, where you, you tweet, and then you can, like, even do the hashtag Black Twitter, mm-hmm. and it falls under, like, that trend, right? Okay. So, um, our chapter was inspired by an incident that happened um, with, what is his name, Don Limit. No, that's not. Is it? That's not Don Lemon. Sorry, Don Lemon. Um, <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, not yep, Don. Okay. Lim- Bill O'Reilly, not Don Lemon. I like Don Lemon. Um, <laughs> Bill O'Reilly, um, where he is having a conversation with three other people around Maxine Waters, mm-hmm. um, and he's like, "I can't take her Congresswoman, Maxine Waters." I should say, mm-hmm. um, around like oh, I can't take anything seriously because she he makes a reference to James Brown. Yeah. Um, some respect on her. Now. Who is a, um, R&B, like, one of the godfathers of Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't pay any attention to her seriously because she looks like James Brown with a wig on it. Um, and so from there, um, she says, she her response was like, I will not be defined and it inspires this tweet of like, Black women's experiences that they have at work, Mm -hmm. um, where there may be the end times where they feel defeated, but may not necessarily say anything about it. And so with these tweets, I believe it was like almost over 25,000 tweets where black women tweeted like black women at work, where they tweeted like different examples of things that may have happened to them um, where they felt like that they were, what is the word that I'm looking for? Silenced. Silenced, yeah, in that essence. And so that's what inspired our Mm -hmm. um, chapter. And so from there, uh, one of the struggles that we had was how to choose the tweets because there's so many tweets. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, we, um, which I would like to see someone do this, um, essentially uh, with the Me Too movement and things that are happening, um, especially like in different countries. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's like, will be dope, like next inspiration. Um, but we were able to kind of uh we used our Twitter as data and essentially like Twitter um is not necessarily always used in a qualitative sense. It's um more mm-hmm. so used quantitatively. And so we wanted to show like yes you can use these hundred and forty characters or less mm-hmm. in a qualitative sense and make sense of that. Um and so from there we use um W E B Du Bois's sense of double consciousness um, in a sense where it's like blacks and African Americans have to operate in two situations, like being black and what it also means into American. and so we adopted that to being like a woman but also being a black woman at work mm-hmm. and the experiences that you have um and a dominating uh dominating or assimilating to what it means to be in like white culture. Versus like having these two, it's almost like flip flop, right? Where one day when I'm somewhere, I have to be someone else when I'm at home. But when mm-hmm. I'm at work, I have to turn on this. Like this is, these are the experience that I have to feel when I'm at work, mm-hmm. like silo. And so we use uh double consciousness. Um, instead of coming from a black feminist theory, like most of my work is kind of centered mm-hmm. around like black feminist thought. And I wanted to essentially like, let's, Let's play around with double consciousness and see what that means, and how do how do we have that feeling? Because there are aspects of Black feminist thought that are stemmed from double consciousness, essentially. Um, and then we use critical discourse analysis, um, which critical discourse analysis uses like social analysis and language studies. I'm reading mm-hmm. straight from my chapter, mm-hmm. um, and it also look. There's so many ways with critical discourse analysis um, because you can use it to describe existing realities, but also evaluate it as well. Um, And even, and so there's even a section in the book, in the chapter where we talk about how social texts, in this case, like the tweets, um, are shaped by social practices and structures meaning by social social, um, agents. So, for example, the women whose tweets we analyzed um, were able to express themselves as a result of a highly political event um, where Black women were, have historically been silenced, which has been in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's how we came up with our chapter and how we demonstrated like Black women using social media as a way to express themselves and also using it as a way to connect with other Black women who have had similar experiences. Um, so one of the things that we did... So we proposed we did low- level, which is called in vivo coding, um, which is similar to what Ashley did, mm-hmm. where um, we took the tweet and we broke it down, and then what we did was then go back and analyze it for twoness, which is what comes out of double consciousness is when you lead, when you use twoness is the, not, the art of like being two different people, mm-hmm. essentially, which is mm-hmm. on the lines of double consciousness. I hope that's making sense. Yeah. Um, so, one of the examples that I can talk about in the book, so we use three different examples. And so one of the examples is, so we coded for both critical discourse analysis and double consciousness. So it was almost two different what two different forms of coding that you could use. Mm -hmm. So one of the tweets was, Oh, so this is like my favorite one. Um, Black woman, hashtag black woman at work, pulls me to the side. You are very Mm -hmm. smart and great at your job, but what you would get so much further if you change your hair, right? And so for the critical discourse analysis piece, we talked about how the writer uses the phrase pulls me to the side and how that suggests that she is being chastised or singled out, okay? And she uses the words, smart and great at your job to describe other people's appraisals mm-hmm. of her ability to do her job which is this approval right where you feel like you have to need this approval which is also a form of tunis like oh i need your approval um to be smart but you will look at me differently if i change my hair um and then we use also double consciousness uh, where we talk about how the writer wears his hairstyles that are likely consistent with her own racial and cultural background. You're wearing what you feel comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or how you feel like you want to wear your hair. And how the norms of, like, the dominant society place more value on, like, certain ha- value hairstyles um, than basically what the work in, what I came here to do. So if I look differently, then I will be go become further. But because I may wear braids and red lipstick, then you're not going to take me seriously. seriously. Um, and so... The analysis that we provided, and we do this for each one of the examples that we use, is that um, this tweet provides an example of how black women's physical features may impact other perceptions of them in the workplace, right? And while most bl- black women do not have to worry about how their hair, their hairstyle, will be accepted by others, but from other racial and cultural groups, it's a great concern at work, right? And so, some may ask, well, this isn't necessarily affiliated with education, but it is, is. right? Because these are some of the same experiences that are happening at work, which may, you may be at a collegiate session and a collegiate, on a college campus. You may be as a principal. Um, These are things that are also happening. So it is education, right? And thinking of ways that this even happens to students that are in the classroom and how people may pursue them or even thinking about how you may dress or how you may even wear your hair a job interview and wanted to be taken seriously so um that's a little bit about like what my chapter is about and what we're hoping to do to explain and help others to see it i
3: think it's great i think yeah. it's great work right to be able to pull that much from a few words right because you mm-hmm. twitter is unique you cannot ramble on and on and on like you can in a facebook post that is one post where you can continuously refer back to let like, people tell stories mm-hmm. right Like in that one tweet, you have to be careful the words you pick Mm -hmm. to convey the type of message that you're trying to convey. To be able to pull all of that out using C D A critical discourse analysis and Du Bois' double consciousness. I think is like riveting work. But I also
2: think let me add this too, is that what's I think it was important to highlight is that the tweets we're pulling from people that have open open yeah open Twitters, right? Mm -hmm. So I would only imagine that those who have private tweets what some of those tweets are even saying mm-hmm. or even like getting access to that. So.
1: Well, and I think this shows how you can take different forms of data mm-hmm. to create meaning and create knowledge in a way that's different than doing interviews with people mm-hmm. where if you have to ask them directly, you're not going to get the same message. And again, mm-hmm. I think that Twitter is great for that double consciousness because people are putting it out in a way that means more than just the words mm-hmm. that they are putting out Nothing. there. as to, Like you said, Choosing specifically which words they're going to mm-hmm. use. And your data analysis really brings that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know, was out with crafting tweets and I have my yeah. <laughs> I didn't reach the limit yeah. of what I needed, yeah. you know? So I feel like that's mm-hmm. important, right? Well, to be able to convey all that. And that's part of the critical theory, right? So mm-hmm. that it's both understanding the systems that you're a part of and then how that influences your action. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, So let me talk a little bit about the book, the process of bringing the book together. Mm -hmm. So this is an edited volume, you said Mm -hmm. it came out of a course, a lot of the authors are graduate students or Mm -hmm. recent graduate students. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the process your how you were involved in editing and comments, recruiting other folks to be involved in the book?
2: So we were involved from the very beginning yeah. in mm-hmm. terms of even, um. So we I, we need to give credit to Rochelle. Yes, right? so, yes right. she is the um the spearhead behind this, and so mm-hmm. we are also uh, we were in the class, but we we're also her advisees. Yeah, and so she was like, I think that um, she was like, I want to do a book. book. What's yeah, right. <laughs>
3: and <laughs> so we're like, oh my, yeah, that sounds good. And I like, was like, oh, okay, yeah, right. right.
2: I was like did I really write something good <laughs> um, um, and so from there she's like I think that this from this class like part of the reason that I wanted to teach this class is because I see so many students doing work critical work and not necessarily even understanding or getting to that point point." and so the class is like it's phenomenal and it could actually even be split up into two different sections yeah. right just on critical theories and then coming back and learning how to analyze your data like I think that's it's the strength that's gonna help me in terms of like how to even construct that's my nice. research. Yeah. Cause we don't necessarily know how to do that. We hear this like don't do interviews and things like that. Um and so that's another story. <laughs> um, but with the book, so from the beginning we were a, we began to write the proposal mm-hmm. um to Routledge. Which, yep. And we met with our copy editor, mm-hmm. Heather.
3: Shout out to Heather.
2: Yeah, shout out to Mm -hmm. Heather. Um, And from there, we talked about the book. And so they sent it off um, to potential reviewers and they say, well, we feel like this may be a good need. You may want to do this, Uh, change the title of the book, or you may want to have
3: more authors from different institutions. Mm -hmm. Right. Right.
2: And so we had to really push back on that because it came from a class. So the first opportunity we gave was to people that were in the class to write, to be a part of the book. Um, and so from there, we did that. And so we were sitting, like, thinking about, like, who can we add to different things? Like, what was inspirational? So we read Dehumanizing Research mm-hmm. um, in the class. And I was like, oh, and I, at the time, I was also taking a class with Maisha, And I was like, yes, like, like, Myesha should have to write the four because this book is almost like a spinoff of her mm-hmm. book. Um, so that's what we did. And then we mm-hmm. kind of went through and thought about, like, who are pillars in the field, um, in the field of higher education, as well as. Um, other K through 12 curriculum we don't want to leave those out yeah. um, and what is what would they bring differently to um, the book and we also wanted to give the opportunity to give to rising scholars yeah, really for them to, um, to show their work right because while we're graduate students and some of them are recent graduate students like I also we also know like the type of work that they're doing mm-hmm. and how in certain spaces it may not be accepted and then this gave them a way to you know To want to be accepted and to kind of go from here. So um, we asked them to write up abstracts about their work. And essentially my abstract that I wrote about is not what I (laughs) think about in the book. Like, let me just say that now. And I think like this book, yeah, is really like a labor of love. And it was. Not easy. I remember we got our contracts. I was like, "Yeah, we can do it in six months." Michelle was like,
0: "Oh uh, no," sister.
2: Sister. <laughs> and I'm so glad that
3: we did because yeah. that was brutal. Yes, yeah. I mean it was brutal. Still, like it was, but. It- Edited volumes are so different because you're yeah. working. With, it's not just you, right? I feel mm, like if it yep. was just your book, you know what you're capable of doing. Uh-huh. But like we had to set internal deadlines. So if you yeah. really need something done January 15th, you don't tell people you need it January 15th. <laughs> you, you know, you have to. So learning, learning that trick. So I'm like everybody's scholars, yeah. you know, they're gonna yeah. no, no, set an internal deadline and and work from there. That was like the biggest thing I learned, and also to. So, during that time, like, doing this book, I was also writing uh, or co-authoring another book chapter for another book. Mm -hmm. So, that was also a unique experience, right? Because it's, like, week right? Yeah. So, it wasn't like we could just switch, right? Or talk Mm -hmm. with the editors of that book. But, you know, I'm feeling dang a good day you know but like I feel like in this opportunity like a lot of the authors came back and like thank you for that thank you for the encouragement like mm-hmm. you know, like even us like we reviewing chapters giving feedback or working through our own chapter being able to like kind of be vulnerable in that space and to kind of mm-hmm. get the encouragement you need that wasn't that's not something that happens every time like you're writing a book you yeah. know you need to be able to or if you, you can't share that with them right and I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes you should be able to do that, right? right, especially when we're talking about work and we're trying to push back against paradigms and be different, and we still reproduce right <laughs> these same inequities. You're like, oh, oh, that was just a cute little thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not really walking, walking it like you're talking. Shout out to the Migos. Um, <laughs> you are just, you know. So I feel like that was really great. Like hearing that feedback from the audience mm-hmm. like thank you for allowing me to talk thank you for talking through this with me thank mm-hmm. you for giving me encouragement thank you for listening to my idea or being like we need something send us your like send us what you have we're not here to judge you like mm-hmm. we are you know sharing mm-hmm. that with them like we're all going through this mm-hmm. process together I feel like that's great like I don't know if I'll ever have an experience like that again yeah
2: I think mm-hmm. I also show us being vulnerable too mm-hmm. um along the lines of Ashley saying, but even like having to like pick up the phone and say like Hey, here's what we mean by this feedback, right? Yeah. This is why because sometimes I I mean I think along the lines with emails and wording, things can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. And you may not understand, like, um, I think for me, my goal was not to be reviewer number two, right? Yeah. And so I in the field we know that reviewer number two is usually always their harsh person yeah. that is like, no, this sucks. And yeah, that, 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 like you need to restart over, right? right? So it's like, no let's let's reframe this or yeah. save this for another book chapter because this isn't essentially what we want to do. And it's hard to write a methods chapter mm-hmm. like this and what our book is because you don't want to say Haramaz did this and this is how this reflects. No, it's like pull out examples mm-hmm. and walk me through it. So we wanted it to almost be like a guidebook and a workbook to show like, this is how you can do this and kind of going from there.
3: And I think what was great was being able to watch Rochelle, Rochelle Winkle Wagner through this. Like, having mm-hmm. taken classes with her, like, her feedback is great. Like, mm-hmm. you don't leave feeling horrible. Like, you could tell she reads it and she gives you, like, that's how I model myself. Like, even being a TA, TA mm-hmm. now giving mm-hmm. feedback is, like... She, You get like a whole little mini paragraph or, you know, mm-hmm. up to like a half a page, maybe a page. Like she starts off with the good things and things you like she makes you feel like, OK, I can do this. And then it's like, you know, see the paper for further comments. And so it's like, here's an example of like what I meant earlier. So trying to like model like my feedback, like after her and then like also after like Shuli Wong, she's another professor here. She gives really good feedback as well. So mm-hmm. I tried to think about mm-hmm. all the instructors I've taken classes with that even when the work wasn't great um or even like nick Hill. i remember i took a class with him and he gave me some comments on the paper he had to be direct because i needed it right (laughs) you know so learning when you needed to be direct but also like showing compassion showing humanity these are people who like this work is deeply personal to all of us right Mm -hmm. we're writing about stuff we're like identifying with or we're seeing um or people around us have experience so we don't ever want to tear people down who are we right to say like your work isn't great but like like, she was like, okay, you know, we're a little bit confused by what you mean here. You know, can you provide more clarity with what you're trying to say? Or even, like, she was really great with feedback, too, being like, yeah. Like, being able to be like, this is great. Like, let, let the chapter focus on this. However, this is actually another, like, publishable topic, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I think you can pull this section and use it. So, now that person is walking away feeling like, oh, okay, I, I got some ideas here. But, which is mm-hmm. also true. But, like, also, like, helping them tailor and focus, like, what the chapter is about. And then also, like, helping them extrapolate, like, okay, these things can go in another article, in another book, in mm-hmm. any other type of other publication. But, like, I actually have rich content here that still deserves to be heard. So, yeah. that was great.
2: Yeah. So, I guess to make – so, we did editing. We did that. We spent a lot of time editing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Several book retreats. Um, yeah. And sending, like, chapters out. Um, we were involved in the organization and how the book should be structured um, and even down to even the cover of the book yeah. yeah
1: let's talk about the cover a little bit mm-hmm. in that picture it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, go ahead so they send you this sheet right yes to, to pick out like what don't you want what do you want yeah mm-hmm. so we're like okay bright colors for right. sure um and so
3: they sent us two too yeah, they said this too. Like we we said, like we didn't want pictures of anyone specifically. Kind mm-hmm. of like more abstract, but like mm-hmm. speaking to like blackness, pride, like strength, like stuff like that. Like we were we were mm-hmm. able to put in there, and then you're just like, okay, I hope they know what what we mean here. And I think we were having like a
2: we were having like a book meeting because we had like mm-hmm. monthly book meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, did y'all check out email? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. They sent us drafts of the book, and they were like so great, like yeah. to see like this is like, and they and when they send it to you, like they put your names in it and everything, so it's not mm-hmm. like this is just what the book is going to look like. This is what it is, um, and so we were like, I was like, okay, let me sit on this, and I was like, well, is the fifth going to be too commercialized?
3: And then I was like, no. Yeah, I think Rochelle and I saw the fist and we were like, yeah. Yeah. And then Jamila was like, I don't know. So we're like, okay, we're going to like, let us all like take a break. Let's sleep on it. Yeah.
2: And then I woke up the next day. I was like, yes.
3: (laughs) Because I, and
2: also because it's not just a plain fist, but it has like multiple colors and it it represents everything that we want the book to do. So it was a perfect Mm -hmm. book cover.
1: And I wanted to point out in the afterword, you ended with a quote um, from Viola Davis in her Oscar acceptance speech. We must continue to exhume and elevate the untold stories. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that quote meant to you in terms of um, this book coming together and the work that it does.
2: I can start off. So that was my idea. So along with my love for, like, social media. I love pop culture and, like, Oscars and things like that. And so, when I heard her say that, I was like, this is exactly what our book is trying to do. Well, it's doing. Not even trying. um, of Wanting to tell the stories and allowing others to tell the stories um, for those who may not always often be heard.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's
2: what I'll say about that.
3: And I think that's great, like, Like, the chapters are so different, right? Like, we have a chapter that talks about geography and makes you, like, question, like, how things are shaped, how they're portrayed. And you're like, oh, this is deep. Like, this is important. Mm -hmm. To, like, pictures and art and how, like, you take pictures and what that means and who's taking the picture, what they're capturing. To, like, Mm -hmm. syllabi, you know, like, things you normally wouldn't question, right? You're like, it's the syllabus, you know? This is what it is. Then you're like pushing back. So it makes you think like, oh, okay, like in what ways am I like contributing to oppression, to marginalization, and I may not realize it. And granted, you can't take on everything, right? But just to understand how things are and how they persist. I think that's great. Like we're all telling stories and we're shedding light on them in different and unique ways that are important to understand and to listen to and to appreciate. And the fact that like a lot of this are written by graduate students or young scholars or young like practitioner scholars, um, I feel is worth noting and I feel it helps push back against academia, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. and we respect, you know, senior scholars in the field, but like also, you know, us as novices, we, we have things to say. We have things to contribute to and to be able to say, here, this is important. Take a look at this. Include this in the dialogue. We're never, we're not saying like, no, none of the chapters say discard everything mm-hmm. differently, but it's like, hey, have you thought about this in this way? Like we should really be paying attention to this and incorporating it when we can, how we can.
2: I think it's a way to also dismantle um what the ivory tower essentially is supposed to look like.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and what the new ivory tower is becoming to look like. And thinking of ways in that sense. So.
1: Well this has been really great and we've taken up a lot of your time talking about the book today. Um I'd like to ask you one final question, which is what are you working on now? Tell us a little bit about your research and where you're at and what we can uh what we'll hear from you coming up soon.
2: Woo! <laughs> Well, hopefully soon you will. Um, you, I will have the three letters behind my name that we've been working May 2019. on. May twenty nineteen, yes. Uh, um, so I am in the process of analyzing data um, with my dissertation and writing the final chapters um, around exploring leadership experiences of undergraduate Black women at historically Black colleges, um, and then from there. Um, Pushing the study even further to understand, to look at how leadership played an imp- has played an impact um, in the types of careers um, that Black women essentially have gone into, um, and think in that sense, thinking about women who attended historically Black colleges but have now gone on to be the CEO of Starbucks, to be superintendents, to be um, Kamala Harris to run for governor like stacy abrams most recently did um so essentially um i'm wanting to do a longitudinal study on on my work um so that's where i am currently on the job market don't know if i should say that yes you
1: should (laughs) let the people know
2: so that's where i am
1: ashley how about you i
3: am proposing my dissertation Mm -hmm. um so i'm trying to uh, get started on that research, so interviewing faculty that um, work at for-profit institutions, and I'm also doing a mm-hmm. trying to do a side research project where I'm interviewing faculty and students that attended for-profit institutions that suddenly closed, um, so trying to gather their perspectives um, and their experiences and include that into the larger literature, and gra- planning on graduating May 2020, you will.
1: Uh, you know,
3: just trying to follow the lead, touching the hymn here of uh, <laughs> soon to be Dr. Lee Johnson. Um, so, that is what I am working on right now in terms of school and just trying to live my best life, you know, inside, and outside academia.
1: <laughs> well, these sound like great projects. We'll look forward to hearing about them. Thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm Thank sure you. our listeners. Thank you. It was it was yeah. I was nervous
3: at first, but. Yeah. It was fun.
1: And thank you, listeners, for being with us today as we talk to Jamil Lee Johnson and Ashley Gaskew about their book that they co edited with Rochelle Winkle Wagner titled Critical Theory and Qualitative Data Analysis in Education, published in 2018 from Routledge. And again, this is Julie Callio, your host for the New Books in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.